At Springfield Music, we started using Merchant Cost Consulting earlier this year. These guys are former banking and credit card reps who go and negotiate your processing rates on your behalf. Now, like most of you, we're pretty aggressive about shopping our processing rate around, so I wasn't sure they'd be able to save us much money. But boy, was I wrong. On average, they're saving us about 600 bucks a month. The deal is we split it 50-50 with them for so many months, and after that, all the savings are ours to keep. Plus, they keep an eye on your fees during this time to make sure those freaking credit card processors don't find a way to jack up your rate again. They're good folks, and they do what they say they do. Actually, in our case, they under-promised and over-delivered. They estimated about 500 bucks a month in savings, and it's been closer to 600 When you contact Patrick at Merchant Cost Consulting, tell him that Donovan Bankhead sent you. This does two things. One, they will pay me a slight referral commission. But more importantly, two, you'll get 10% off of your first month's bill if you choose to go with them after their free analysis. Listen, I wouldn't recommend it to you if it wasn't worth it. It'll only take a few minutes of your time. They handle the rest. Contact Patrick McClellan. His email is patrick at merchantcostconsulting.com. P-A-T-R-I-C-K at merchantcostconsulting.com. I'll even give you a cell phone number, 508-733-7622. And remember, tell them that Donovan sent you. Hello and welcome to the Music Retailers Podcast. I'm your host, Donovan Bankhead, and together you and I are going to listen to and learn from some of my favorite instrumental music retailers, manufacturers, well, anyone else that I think would be interesting. My goal is to provide a podcast where you can learn something new in every episode. So uh, this is really exciting. Uh, I'm excited to get to talk to you today, Laura, because uh, you have uh, had an interesting career already up to this point, uh, working for string manufacturers. I think you've had a stint in retail before, but it kind you know, from the outside in, it looks like you just from out of the blue jumped in and like bought one of the, uh, one of our industry's larger school music retailers and certainly one of the larger, uh, California school music retailers. Um, and you know, for those who aren't familiar with Nick rail music, you know, of course we don't know how accurate these reports are, but, According to the top 200 reports of, of that Music Trades put out, yeah, this is ranked around the 60s or so in terms of volume size. So this is a good size business for someone to just kind of come in and like, you know, hey, I was your Maple Leaf Strings rep. Hey, now I own this business. Like, that's a pretty big deal. So I want to jump right into that and just tell me how that story came about. Like, how did you come about to actually end up purchasing Nick Real Music? Sure. Um, I don't know how far back you want me to go. Um, All the way I back. Start- all, All the way back. back to where it's interesting or relevant. Okay, so I started in retail um, in bridal. And my mom had a bridal store. And so I was helping her run that, doing, you know, buying, consulting, going to the trade shows, helping customers, things like that. Um, I graduated college in music. And immediately, as soon as I graduated, just went around to all the music schools, or sorry, the music stores in the area with my resume, just saying, like, please hire me. I don't know what to do now. And Were you a string never, player? No, no, I don't play strings. I play piano. Uh, okay. That's basically my only inter- instrument. Um, so I just went around to music stores with my resume and was like, please hire me. I need a job. Um, I was pregnant at the time with my oldest. Uh, my husband and I had been married a couple years and, you know, we're just trying to figure out what the next steps were. 
So I went to Summer Haze. I applied. They hired me, which was great, just as a temp for the summer and fall. Um, I worked there for a little while, got to kind of know what that was all about. And then um, our lives kind of went crazy with just my husband's job and education and things like that. So we moved around a lot after that. Uh, we were down in the Caribbean for two years, down on St. Martin. We were in California. We were in Chicago. We were in Utah. Um, we kind of settled in Utah. We thought temporarily for like a year or two. I went back and asked Summer Hates for a job again. They were like, sure. I was like, thank you for hiring me. <laughs> um, so that was in 2012 and worked there for about four and a half years. And about six months into that, I realized that there really wasn't anyone specializing in strings. And that's where a lot of the sales sale potential was. So I talked to Chris Barons. I said, Hey, you should put me in the strings department. He was like, you don't know anything about strings. I was like, yeah, I'll learn. It's great. Let's do it. So I did. So I ran their strings department for about four years. Uh, it was really successful, super fun. I loved it. I have just loved the strings industry is really amazing. Um, and that's where I met the Maple Leaf people. So, uh, I don't know at what point I kind of was like, well, I don't really want to work Saturdays anymore. I have all these kids now with three kids. Um, so I kind of reached out and was like, what's, what's another career op opportunity? So the Maple Leaf people took me on as the Western sales rep. So I was doing all of the Western United States, basically Colorado West. So I would travel a couple times a month, visiting music stores, selling orchestral strings. I don't know how to play them, but I can tell you all about them. Um, and it was great. So I knew the Nick Rell people already because I grew up in this area. So I'm from Southern California. I grew up around the stores, like kind of had it just about what they were. And then as I was doing my Maple Leaf job, I got to know more of the team members. So I had met almost all the managers, some of the ed reps. Um, I got to know Lucky, Nick, uh, kind of the rest of the team. And then I kind of just heard through the grapevine about a year and a half ago. About a year and a half ago, that Nick was looking for a buyer, and I got this crazy idea that was like, "Well, both my parents have businesses, and they like being an entrepreneur, and I know about music. Maybe I should look into it." <laughs> so I texted Nick and was like, "Hey, I heard you're selling," and he was like, "I don't know how you heard that, but yeah." And I was like, "We should talk," and so we had breakfast. One day I came into California, we had breakfast and just kind of went from there. Um, I applied for an SBA loan, got the SBA loan and bought the business. The final sale went through on September 20th. Um, it was a little bit of a bumpy road. There's a lot. And it was September 20th of last year of 2019. 2019, right. right. 2019. So yeah, not that long ago. Was that maybe Not seven months, ago. something, eight months? Yeah, uh, eight and a half months. <clears throat> gotcha. Eight and a half months. Um, but yeah, so there was it was a pretty steep learning curve, I think, for all of us involved, especially with the multiple locations and all the SPA requirements. Um, so it took a long time. It took a long time from the very first time we talked about it to when it went through was uh, over a year that we were working on everything, uh, and it was really hard to keep a secret like that. Oh my goodness. That was challenging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was hard. It was yeah. hard, but it was good. It was good. Um, but yeah, so here we are. Running the business. It's good. 
a heck of a time to jump into music retail. <laughs> That's I mean, not, it's not especially, no. you know, I mean, like, uh, especially, I mean, first of all, jumping into music retail is tricky no matter what. Um, then adding in a multi-location retailer, three or four or six times as hard. Uh, and then adding in a global pandemic, unlike anything seen for a hundred years. Uh, I don't know what the how much harder that becomes, but it's a hell of a lot harder. <laughs> so uh, tell me, like, how have you guys managed uh, to get through? Not only, I mean, I kind of, I want to definitely want to get into like what the early days and the struggles like that. But let's talk about just the last couple of months. Like, how has that affected your business? So the last couple months have been hard. Um, I, I'm trying to find the silver lining and be thankful for the things that we do have going for us and not be bogged down <laughs> by the things that are not in my control that just make me want to curl up in the You can say, Donovan, it, it sucks. <laughs> no, it doesn't suck. It doesn't suck. It's not, no, no, it doesn't suck. Um, I do think that I'm a... a this is going to sound super weird, but I do believe it. I'm a little bit at an advantage because it's my first year that I don't know what else to expect. So it's not like I have any of these preconceived notions of what exactly has been going on for 30 years. This is how it is every summer. This is how it is every March. All of our Aprils look like this. I, this is my first time anyway. Like I worked retail with Summer Haze, so I get a gist of what the year looks like. And I talked with Nick and the team and been like, you know, what do we usually do this time of year? And but I don't have any set in stone ideas of what should be happening. So basically anytime we have a win and I'm like, that's great because what else was it going to be? Like, right. Yeah. Nothing to compare it to. Right. That's exactly right. So it, I do think that that has actually been helpful. Um, we have some new team members too, in some pretty high up positions that it's all of our first year doing it. So we're all just kind of taking the wins as they come. And if there's big challenges, we're like, hey, what are we going to do? We don't yeah. know any other way. So we're not really getting hung up on what could have or should have been. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How have you been able to manage the cash flow? Because having like this, you know, having the SBA payment that you've, you're obligated to make and then um, combining that with what I'm assuming is a reduction in cash and revenue, because uh, I'm assuming you were able to look, you looked through previous financials and you had likely had, you know, benchmarks for what you were expecting in terms of revenue. And I'm assuming that you've had reductions in that. How have you navigated that process? Or did you just have strong enough cash flow that you're able to still make that payment and everything's okay? So, so there's two things that we took advantage of that are new um, government and SBA uh, like assistance programs. Um, the first was this thing they passed at the beginning of March that if you have these certain type of SBA loans, they will make your payments for six months. So I haven't had an SBA payment for April, let's see, April and May, or and I won't have one for June. Um, so that has been helpful, not, not needing to make those payments. Um, and then we applied for a PPP loan like the day it came out. And I pretty sure we're like one of the first ones to get it. I can't believe how fast it went through. Mm -hmm. So we were able to get that and that kind of helped us. We maintained our staff. Uh, we kind of, we reduced hours, but we didn't cut hours or we didn't cut staff at all. Um, so yeah, it's pretty good. Getting that, uh, getting both those, the, 
the essentially the forgiveness, whether they're covering six months of payments or and the uh, PPP, definitely helps. I mean, when you're getting the loan payment covered and your payroll covered and your rent covered, like, uh, yeah, that can be a big lifesaver. Uh, one of the things that's a little obnoxious though with all of this, which I don't want to take, I don't want to make it sound like I'm not thankful because I really am thankful. Um, but with all the PPP changes that they're making, it it's kind of like, I wish I had known at the beginning that these are the changes that they were going to make because it really would have changed how we handled that PPP. Yep. Um, just because the, the changes that they're making with the rules for forgiveness, we would have done things differently now that they're making these pretty substantial changes. But I mean, it is what it yep. is. I don't want to like snub my, nose, snub my nose at any of it. Yeah, I know it's it's challenging too because in the if you were uh, trying to get in it quickly because we were like you we we applied immediately and and uh, uh, we had you know had already kind of had a space reserved because we'd heard this was coming like everybody else and so we were really and we have a great relationship with our bank um, so we got the money really quick and then of course when you get the money really quick then they also the clock started. You know, like you've right. got eight weeks and you've got this, that, and the other. And so then you had right. to quickly make decisions of how to allocate the money and what you're doing. And then as you get, you know, four or five weeks in, they're like, well, we might actually change this and that and make all this easier. And you're like, oh, God, right. man, that would have been a lot nicer. And I don't understand. Like, we're really fortunate. We've got uh, both. Um, uh, we've got a great accountant that we use. Uh, so we use Friedman Cannonberg. And then we also have a, a really awesome VP of finance that's on our team as well. And she's super smart. And so between those two, like, you know, they kept us kind of at the at the forefront, I think, of getting the loan and figuring out what to do. And I just couldn't imagine if I didn't have those kind of people on my team, how I could have made heads or tails of this because it's, it's kind of complicated, you know. Yeah, it is. No, we uh, we use Friedman Canterbury too, and they have been great with all of this. Um, and then same with having a good relationship with our bank. I remember before all this happened, hearing someone, you know, say in some session, I don't remember, be like, oh, yeah, you need a really good relationship with your bank. And I was like, why do you need a relationship with your bank? And now I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad we have a good relationship with our bank. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it's, good. It's, it's been good, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So on your internal team, do you have someone that is like has has the background in finance that's kind of taking the lead on all this stuff? Or are you taking the lead on that? Who how's that handling? So it's a team effort. Um, it's a team effort. Uh, I have my husband helping me. He has his uh, master's in, in in business administration and has been doing a lot of you know, report running and we look at all the spreadsheets and things like that. Um, and then I also have a new team member in our accounts payables department who has been really helpful with all this. He has a lot of experience in really complicated finances for businesses with multiple locations. And so having him new, I mean, he started like two weeks before all this happened. So I'm like, welcome to the day, Ben, here we are. Um, <laughs> but he's been really invaluable through all this too. So it's kind of a team effort. We meet pretty frequently just going over reports and all of our finances and making sure that we all have an understanding of where we are, where we want to be, um, planning for the future, worst case scenario, but not overreacting and being so conservative that we can't grow at all. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a team effort. You know, I, I, I think for school music dealers that get to a certain size, whatever that size is, I, I think in revenue, you're, it's probably that 
five to eight million mark, something like that. Uh, having a finance person on your team is really important, you know, because you are basically financing a lot of things constantly, uh, whether it's purchases from the vendors or your rentals and purchases to your customers. And, um, and then having someone that understands all those intricacy, intricacies, I think, is such a critical part. And um, whereas combo retail, I mean, you know, if you can use a pencil and have a napkin handy, you can probably figure out most of that finance. <laughs> like, that's not that complicated. Like, well, I buy it for this and I sell it for that. And what's different, what's left is my profit. Like, it's pretty simple. But it gets a lot more complicated when you get into school music, I think. So uh, when you so you, you come in and like first of all like I mentioned earlier running retail is just a challenge and right. but you not only have one retail store you've got six right we have six yep yeah were you, you, were you counting in your head to figure <laughs> you're like well <laughs> we um we have plans for opening a new one so we're looking at opening our seventh location in the next month or two. Um, it was supposed to open June 1st, but with all the COVID stuff, it's delayed. Like we can't even find anywhere to make us a cash wrap because everywhere's closed. Mm -hmm. um, so things are a little bit delayed, but we are opening another location that's going to be an exclusive string shop. Um, the company is pretty, we're pretty band heavy, but my background's all in orchestral strings. So it's like, we should do this too. So we'll yeah. be opening a string shop in the next couple months. Um, We'll have seven locations. So, yeah. That's awesome. So for or condolences, one or the other, I'm not sure. Uh, so <laughs> for point of sale, what do you, do you guys use Amesy? Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, and ha did did Summer Haze use Amesy as well? No, Summer Haze has their own uh, proprietary software. Okay. Okay. So you're kind of new to Amesy. How have you found that experience of using Amesy? Uh, it's not my favorite. <laughs> this I is use, this is the bitch about amesy talk show just say so no just kidding like it's, it's uh, not my favorite i've used worse at other i had a music store uh i had a job at another music store i don't know if we're allowed to like drop names yeah yeah of course I worked at, okay so i worked like six months at a sam ash in chicago okay um and their software is just awful i think it's still on dos like still yeah. It's, yeah. it's not great. So that was worse. So I like Amesy better than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's uh, there's a lot of things to love about about Amesy, or I guess now they call it Ames on the latest version. Um, and certainly the integration from top to bottom, inside out. If you do lessons or if you do rentals, you do repairs, you do retail, uh, right. all of your accounting, like having all of that in one piece of software is truly amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And... You know, I do think it's the best solution for, you know, our industry, for people that are doing all those services that I mentioned, but it's not without some drawbacks, you know, for sure. And it's, um, and it's not very user-friendly. Once you yes. learn how to do everything, then it's fine. But getting to that point is really cumbersome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty serious learning curve. I had someone share that they felt like it was probably about a year and a half long process of like implementing it and kind of like understanding it and stuff. And yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot, you know, that, that's a lot. Yeah. And even and when you do have it, there's stuff, there's issues. Like we've been trying to handle this V12 upgrade, which I think they've now finally got this converter working so much better than what it was originally. But we've got an IT specialist on our staff who's super smart. He's got tons of accreditations. Like he's, he's just great at this stuff. And he's struggled with getting 
this stuff to work. And, I, and again, I think like, God, how would someone who's like a, you know, 10 person music store work this out? Like, <laughs> We have not made the jump to version 12 yet. Uh, I'm a little scared. We're waiting just a little longer. <laughs> yeah. Why have you not made that change? Uh, just that I haven't heard great things about it yet. So, and everyone I kind of talked to was like, oh, if you don't need to, don't do it yet. I'm like, okay. Yeah. We're just going to sit tight for a little longer. Yeah. Maybe wait for version 13. <laughs> or at least like 12.5. I don't know. Yeah. We're going to, I think we're going to try it again on June 22nd. And um, <laughs> this will probably be our, well, probably our third or fourth time, like to try to actually do it as a company and launch it as a company i mean i don't know how many times we've done it as like test conversions i mean sure two or three dozen easily uh but like trying to get it to launch as a company it's just been a tire fire every time up to this point so <laughs> i don't want to even get the wrong idea though like i do appreciate what those guys do i would love for them to hire uh, a, a graphical user interface designer even if it's just temporary just get someone to make the stuff look better than what it does and then maybe a, some kind of SQL database expert to speed the thing up because it's it does tend to run a little on the slow side, even even the newest version. And I thought with this new database that was supposed to be one of the big things we'd get was speed. And but I don't know that much about it, so you know I could be wrong. So tell me some of the challenges you've had. With, I mean, six locations very difficult. Uh, it's difficult. And I guess before I get to that question, how far apart are your your locations from each other on average? Uh, they're pretty far apart. They're one to two hours apart from each other. Um, so the furthest di distance we have is from Santa Barbara to San Diego. Uh, you're looking like between a four to six hour drive, depending on traffic. Gotcha. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a pretty good spread for mm -hmm. sure um so you know obviously moving inventory between each location and uh communicating with all the locations culture between all the locations those are all things really challenging how have you managed those things so nick had already set up a pretty good company culture um at, when i very first started i went around to every store and interviewed every employee just to kind of get a feel for who they were what they liked about working there, what things they would want to see changed. Um, I kind of got to know everyone and already there was a really good company culture feel. Everyone really enjoyed what they were doing and felt valued. And I wanted to make sure to keep that because it, it's just crucial to your job performance and, you know, sales are only going to happen if people are liking what they're doing. Um, so we have started a new thing in the last, I think two, three months ago. Um, we do, I do weekly Zoom meetings with all of the managers individually, and then we're doing um, meetings every other or every two weeks with all of the ed reps as a group. Um, so part of that is just to keep the communication open and that they know that every week they can count on this meeting, they can talk about their challenges, we can discuss projects, um, just checking in with them, seeing how everything's going. Um, yeah, so that I think has been valuable, the communication, um, and also just establish, establishing my expectations for what I'm looking for. Um, I know sometimes that's challenging because things are so far apart. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just being really precise and having good communication and following up and following through with things that we've asked. And yeah, I think just communication is key. I think that's a big, a big part of it. It's a big part of it. 
So uh, g give me an idea of some expectations that you have for your store managers in a remote location. Um, our most recent thing that we, like one of the recent projects that we're working on, we're updating all of our in-store merchandise so that all the tags are the same company-wide. Because each location kind of had their own way to like tag and price things. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nope, we need uniform looks across the company. So here is what we're looking for. This is what I want them all to look like. Um, and then just checking in with them. So every time I talk with them on the phone, I'm like, hey, show me what you've been working on. Send me pictures. I want to see them. And just making sure that they realize that they're going to be accountable for these projects, but also setting realistic expectations. So I can't be like, hey, I want everything updated by Tuesday. There's not time. Right. There's just not enough time. So just know that the fact that they can know that I'm going to be updated like I'm going to be checking in on it. I think it helps motivate and then makes it feel like it's not for nothing. Cause if I yeah. never checked in on it again, then why would they ever do any project that right. I don't care? You know, right. just being like, this is what I want. I want updates on it regularly. Show me pictures, you know, point your camera there during our zoom conversation. Um, and just making them accountable for some of these projects and then giving praise. I think that's a big one. Just, telling them how grateful and thankful I am that they are putting in this effort. And I know that it's challenging right now. And I know we're all struggling and that your staff is under stress. You are under stress. Um, and just kind of being a solid person that they can rely on, I think is, I think it's good. Yeah. Well, setting those expectations and then creating the accountability of them is such an important part mm -hmm. of our job. And frankly, it can be, I think, one of the least enjoyable parts of owning a business, uh, you know, having to be the one that holds everyone accountable, uh, you know, that and ultimately, especially if your background is one who's used to doing things like, so for me, you know, I am just accustomed to doing projects and putting in new ideas and stuff like that. And it's taken me a long time and I'm still working on getting better at it at kind of getting comfortable with the one of like, all right, my, job. I had someone, uh, Barry Drazen told me this years ago, he's like, Donovan, your job is to put things on other people's plates and then watch the plates. And I was, cause I, he was asking me about something. I was like, man, I just got too much stuff on my plate. He's like, no, 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 no. Your job is to put things on other people's plates and then watch the plates. And I was like, but, uh, huh. <laughs> now yes. it was probably four years ago and I'm still working on that, but I'm a you slow did. learner. So no, that's, that definitely, so my husband and Nick, both are, you know, if I tell them, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so overwhelmed. Both of them are like, well, who can you delegate to? I'm like, oh yeah, like, yeah, that is my job to delegate. So right. yeah. But then you still learn. have to like follow up with it because I'm great at delegating, uh, but right. I'm not great at, I've, I've tried to, I've tried to get better and better about uh, setting clear expectations and when I would like things done. And what I find tricky, and share any feedback you've got on this, I, I find it tricky to do a couple things. One, to set a, a clear goal that's going to make them have to kind of like focus without being unreasonable. And then creating accountability where I'm, you know, I want them to be the best version of themselves, but I don't want to be an unrealistic, unreasonable task masking, you know, taskmaster that's, uh, you know, just constantly do more, do more, do more, and never satisfied with anyone's results. And so it's tricky to find now those things all live on a continuum. So, you know, 
the the person who wants everything done right now and done perfectly and the person who doesn't want to, you know, doesn't like to follow up. There's somewhere in between that one can be, right? It's not an either or of like, well, I'm either going to like rip, chew, you know, rip them a new one or I'm going to just let it all slide. But how do you balance that? How do you balance that? Uh, so that's a little challenging to answer because I'm not 100% sure we're there yet. So <laughs> in the perfect world, um, I think a lot of it is just based on effort. So I have some managers that are really, really great at following through with certain things and maybe not so great at following through with other things. But it just depends on what they're dealing with at an individual store. So setting my expectations company-wide but then recognizing each individual store's challenges. So some of them might have staffing challenges. Other ones were doing some renovations. So they have that challenge of dealing with, you know, moving stuff around and all the construction that's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Others have really challenging customers. So setting my expectations company-wide, but then realizing each store's own limitations and just finding a balance between, you know, forcing them to do all these things in a timely manner, but, not well executed and then giving them the necessary time but not too much time to make sure that it actually is happening to the standard that we want have you found that those weekly zoom meetings that that's an appropriate cadence like an appropriate length of time to have those one-on-one meetings yeah right now it is i don't know if it's something we need to do forever and ever and ever um but one of the challenges that I have found owning the business for such a short amount of time and having this huge crisis that we're dealing with, I didn't have a lot of time to build this level of trust with my managers that they really can, you know, I'm still kind of a stranger and here I am putting so much responsibility on them. So I think these weekly meetings are going to be, are, have been really good in building this level of trust and rapport with them. Um, I send minutes out after every meeting, we go through the minutes at the following meeting and make sure that, you know, I have them separated by things we talked about and action items. And so the action items, I follow up with them, you know, this is what we talked about last week. Where are you with that? Um, and part of that's just to help me keep on track too, because there's six stores. It can be easy to let things fall through the cracks. Um, but it, yeah, it's right now the weekly meetings are good. They're just 15 to 30 minutes. Um, I, can foresee in the future, maybe not doing them every week, maybe every other week. Uh, but right now I think it's, it's working really well just because the climate is changing so rapidly every yeah. day that it's almost like weekly meetings aren't even in us. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you're still building that relationship too, you know, and that's so right. important because you're in this boat where, you know, you personally owe millions of dollars <laughs> and like, but they're the ones that really have to pay for it, you know? And uh, so you've got to kind of get that relationship together where, you know, they want to work for, you know, your, your mutual success. So uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, Nick had uh, already built, you know, he had a successful business and, and a good culture there, which I totally believe, like I said, you don't, you don't get to that level of success in our industry by like, you know, not doing it on, in per, on purpose and with intention and stuff. Um, but, in, you know, even with all of that uh, and, and not saying this in any way to say anything negative about, uh, about Nick at all, but when you took over, what some of the things that you wanted to change or improvements you wanted to make? Obviously, one you'd mentioned was opening a string, a string shop, which uh, is you know, obvious given your, your background. Um, but what are some of the, the tweaks and changes that you wanted to make uh, for the next generation of Nick Real Music? So, 
I don't want to say anything that's going to make it look like things weren't great already. Um, but there definitely is areas for improvement. Um, technology is one of them. It just is kind of lacking. So we're working on some improvements on those. We're revamping the website, um, looking to, you know, we just upgraded all the phone systems. We're upgrading the website. We're upgrading some of our point of sale systems, like just the actual physical systems. Um, working on better communication. I, I don't know. There's like a lot of lot of little areas that need a little improvement. Um, I feel like the company was getting a little comfortable, and I don't want to get stuck in that routine. So I. I think we're pushing pretty hard in the, in a lot of different areas mm -hmm. to just grow and progress and increase. I don't know, that sounds like a really generic answer, but well, it just sounds <laughs> like of, a lot of infrastructure, right? I mean, like you're you're working on roads and bridges and, and you know telecoms. I mean, like you're working on like the core stuff of of any business. It's not always new sexy things of new platforms or I mean, you you do have new locations coming or whole mm -hmm. new strategies, but a lot of it's just like you know, reinvesting in the things that you've got and then right. trying to make kind of reiterative improvements as you go forward. Right, right. And there was a lot of things that were on Nick pl Nick's plate um, and Winston's plate, who was, who he's retired, so he's not with us anymore. Um, but there was a lot of things on their plates that didn't need to be. And I think it took up a lot of time that could have been spent, you know, exploring other ways to progress and grow. Um, yeah. So I'm trying really hard to make sure that I'm not getting like stuck in the weeds and that I'm working more on the business rather than in the business. Right. So I think that, I think that's been helpful too. I think it leaves a lot of room for growth, which is good. Yeah. That, that whole phrase working on the business versus in the business. I mean, obviously it's a straight out of the e-myth revisited one of the best uh, business books. If you have, you know, anyone who hasn't read it, like, man, you got to read that one. And I think for a lot of us, when we read it, we're just like, Oh my God gosh, like that, that is totally me. Like we could all yep. recognize ourselves in there somewhere for sure. So, so, uh, you know, again, I, uh, anyone who's not familiar, Nick Rio, primarily, uh, uh school music, uh, uh, specialty shop. I mean, you, you do some like, uh, acoustic guitars and stuff like that, but it's, it's all kind of catered around like a lesson program. Uh, um, and the school music rental program uh you offer repairs you offer lessons with your lesson teachers are they employees or are they uh, independent contractors no they're independent contractors um so that's one area that we are still not quite sure how to navigate going forward um we offer studio space at all of our locations but the teachers are not our employees um so as of right now with as much research as i've been able to find and figure out i don't know when we're going to be doing lessons again um, it's kind of just remains to be seen what people's comfort level is. Mm -hmm. Have your lessons been, have you done them online or is it just not at all? Uh, not at all. So we, yeah, cause we do not have any teachers on staff. So they are still teaching lessons through zoom, but just at home. So. Yeah. And, uh, do your teachers collect their own uh, payment and stuff for lessons? And mm -hmm. so they're probably, they're just not paying you for rent. There's no revenue coming in. Right. And it wasn't a huge stream of revenue. So really we're not like, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Is that an area that you want to grow or do you have designs of growing other things and leaving that as it is? So it's an area that I want to modify. Um, I think in the grand scheme of things, I would like to have the teachers on staff. 
Um, but we don't quite have the infrastructure built in for that yet. What's the infrastructure needed for that? Well, just trying to figure out a way to have an increase of staff by that many of that many people and then figuring a way to track all their schedules and payments. And we just, we haven't really quite got into it yet. Uh, Amesy, you know, the lesson know. scheduler in Amesy mm-hmm. handles all of that. And uh, yeah. in our case, we've got one person, Misty Christek, who's our kind of lesson administrator and oversees our AR and, and uh, she's, you know, for all of our locations, she's the essentially like the lesson coordinator for all of our locations and she's able to handle all that, but it's, you know, using Amesy. Now in our case, our teachers are employees and, you know, I feel pretty strongly about that. Um, we've had them be contractors in the past and, um, you know, I kind of realized that I'd rather have, you know, 120 employees than 50 employees and 70 independent people. (laughs) And I want people, I want like an army of people that support our company. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you have independent contractors, of course, they're running their own business and renting a space from you. And I wanted people that we were promoting my business and our business together. Um, and I wanted to be able to have more control over what we were doing. I wanted to be Mm -hmm. able to have total control over the revenue. Um, and it's been a great move for us. You know, the little bit that we paid uh, to, you know, in payroll tax to have them uh, be employees is more than offset by other gains that we make in other places. So uh, to me, it's it's a no-brainer to do it that way and uh, not very expensive. And I've yet to hear a great argument otherwise, unless people just have plenty of income and cash flow and just don't need, you know, the additional revenue and overhead and the workload that comes with it. And I do, there are some stores I talk to that that's their position. You know, they don't, lessons aren't a significant portion of what they're doing. Uh, they don't even have, they don't have much, to, like a, they don't have like a heart for it. They don't have um, any desires to grow it. And, you know, which is totally cool. Like they're, they're they would rather spend that energy and efforts doing something else, you know, and uh, totally get that. Well, and I think it might, um, whatever the frontier looks like in the fall, I think that will probably help us decide what direction we want to go with that. If there's not a lot of school programs, then we definitely are going to start pushing lessons and group lessons and all of that. Um, yeah, it just kind of remains to be seen. We're still figuring yeah. it out. I know for us, as we've gone through this pandemic, I've been really grateful that we've got all these revenue streams, you know, because uh, all of them kind of took a hit but none of them took like a catastrophic hit. Um, And actually probably the one that may have taken the hardest hit initially was repair because customers just weren't bringing repair in Um, and schools were out. So they weren't bringing repair in, but we had so much, you know, rental stock that needed to be caught up uh, Mm -hmm. that, you know, so those guys were able to stay busy doing that. Um, But it was just so wonderful that even with a drop in lesson revenue, which I think ours is down about 30% right now, that still gives you 70% of your revenue that's coming in, which is, you know, still sizable. Uh, Same thing with rental and retail. And it's just kind of nice to have like 
the four legs of the table or the four legs of the chair kind of propping the whole thing up. And even if one of the legs gets cut a little bit, it's like, yeah, it's still holding it up. It may have a weird lean to it, but, (laughs) but it's still there, you know? So uh, anyway, so tell me personally, just with looking at like your business skill set, what's, what are some, what's one of your biggest assets? Do you think? So I feel like I'm good at sales. Um, That is one area as a company that we are not, I mean, I don't want to be a pushy salesperson because that's not what we're about. Um, but I do think that a lot of our staff members take for granted the fact that they are experts in music products. They don't realize that they are. And so educating our customers on things that they might not know that they even need or want. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I have, I'm strong at that. So like step up sales, it's great. Um, I feel like I'm really good at building those relationships with customers and things like that. Um, feel like I'm charismatic. And so sometimes that helps motivate people like mm-hmm. leadership skills. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you can ask my staff if they think I have good leadership skills. That um, would be, that would be a fun podcast. Like yeah. we do one episode <laughs> where we talk to the owner and we do another episode. Where we talk to all the staff and then we compare the differences. Yeah. We can do like anonymous, that. have a behind the yeah. screen. Like. Yeah. Oh um, man. All right. That's going to be I, a whole new podcast right there. I love that idea. So I do think one thing, I'm not afraid to ask questions. Um, I know some people are afraid of asking questions because it makes them look real stupid, but I figure the situation that I put myself in with buying this business um, and then the situation that the world has put us in with all these pandemics and crises and, oh my gosh, so many things. um, I've just been asking tons of questions. Like anyone that I can get on the phone to talk to me, I am asking like some pretty deep, intensive, maybe shouldn't even be shared questions, but I'm like, who else am I going to ask? Like, mm-hmm. there's no way I'm going to know. I might as well ask. They could think I'm the biggest stupid person ever, but at least I have an answer and another perspective. Um, so I, I, I think that's a, I think that's a skill is not being afraid to ask for questions and, you know, just get as much information as you can and not being afraid of stuff you don't know. Well, well I don't know. So. once you get over that fear of rejection, like mm-hmm. you just kind of quickly realize like most people are going to, say yes or share that info with you and yeah i it's funny that you say said that i think that's probably one of the things that i have that's set me apart that's helped me be successful as i had kind of that same mindset that you have which is i don't know how to do this this person seems to have it figured out i'm just gonna go ask them and um uh because the worst thing they can say is no and almost never have people said no Um, the only times they have is, you know, there's times where I've asked people that like, especially in the very beginning, you know, I would ask, uh, you know, really testing this theory out, but I would ask that even to like local competitors for stuff. And obviously they didn't want to share it, which I kind of understand. Um, but you know, beyond that I've had by and large, people are willing to help and and, and nothing else, people love to talk about how they've solved something because they've got problems they're trying to fix right now too. And to be able to go, oh yeah, I had that problem once. <laughs> Let me tell you the story of how I actually did something that worked. Because you know? <laughs> sometimes right. you feel like I'm spending all my time on this thing and it's not working. But uh, So to relive a success can be really nice. Right, right. Well, and the other thing you mentioned, which I really love, and it reminded me of a conversation I had today with one of our store managers, is you know when you ask your people questions and really get them involved, like it shows a lot of trust and respect in them too. You know, right. 
so as you and I are, rec are recording this on June 4th and Make Music Day is coming up on June 21st, so I've been talking with our uh, management team about like, hey, start thinking about how we kind of want to promote that. It's coming up. And one of our managers is like, well, I'm going to be gone that day and the store is closed that day, so we're not doing anything. I'm like, well, no, like let's do something even if we're not open that day. He's like, well, I'm actually going to be gone like most of that week. I'm like, cool, then like get your staff to come up with something. Like you've got smart, capable people on your team. They could totally figure out something fun to do for Make Music Day. Like this doesn't have to be a top level like, all right, I've got, we've got to get our best guy on this. You know, we've got right. to get the smartest person in the company to figure out what to do for a make music day. It's like, no, we've got a hundred and something musicians in here. Just figure something out. Right. <laughs> it right. doesn't have That's to be right. genius, you know, it just has to be fun and musical. Mm. Uh, and those guys are going to come up with something great, you know, and it's a project off his plate. And I think that that's, that's super, super important. So what are some things you're not good at? Oh my gosh. Do we want to go chronologically or like alphabetically? <laughs> That's how we started this interview. <laughs> right. um, I am not great at coming up with creative and inventive things in like basically any area. I'm great at copying ideas. With mm -hmm. permission, of course. I don't want people to be angry. Um, but yeah, not great at coming up with things. I, I think I'm pretty good at implementing things. Um, but as far as coming up with things, I think think I benefit from being able to ask questions and get lots of ideas from lots of people and have like an open mind about different options of ways we can handle things. Mm -hmm. um, but coming up with actual creative solutions, like with marketing and things like that, mm -hmm. I'm just amazed at the things that people come up with that are just genius and I'm great at copying them, but maybe not yeah. coming up with them. So. <laughs> are you familiar with the Colby test testing system? Is this something you've ever heard of? Okay, I hadn't either until a few years ago. Uh, so what Colby does is it's a you know series of questions. It's not a personality test. It's more of a test to assess how you like to interact and interface with information in the world. Okay, mm -hmm. and uh, but one of the things to me uh, that was so enlightening uh, and empowering about the Colby test is there's no good or bad score. And the other thing uh, is that they explained uh, that everything kind of lies on like a continuum. And so they'll take something that like, uh, you know, they'll, they'll take a, a, a thing that maybe, um, so they've got these four things that they test. So they, uh, and a big one is like a, a thing that they call quick start. And so if you test high in quick start, that just means that you're like really, really, uh, quick to initiate action on some. So when someone says, Hey, what do you think about opening a new store? You're like, Oh my gosh, I think that'd be fascinating. I'm going to start looking into locations. And like, you're just like, yeah, ah, this is great. And, uh, but being low in quick start, isn't like a, a bad thing. If you're low in quick start, you tend to be the type of person that says, well, wait a minute. Do we, are we sure that opening a new store is a good idea right now because of what's going on with COVID and the fact that like you're a new business owner and blah, 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 blah. Like that's the, the, the opposite to quick start, but it's not a bad thing. Does that make sense? So like if you're, if you're high in quick start, you sort of like leap and then look, right? You're like, this looks awesome. You jump off the cliff and go, oh wait, there's no water down there. And you know, and if you're low in it, then you, t if you're, then you would tend to, uh, 
you know, kind of want to figure everything out before you make a decision. And of course, it's a content, it's a, it's a scale from one to ten, so you could be in between. And for me, what's so uh, liberating about that is, so on my quick start, I'm an eight, which means like I'm pretty quick to move into new ideas. Um, but because I can move into them so quickly, which is such, a, it can be a great skill, especially like if I'm, if we're in a situation where everything went wrong like this, I am super good at getting us through that. Um, but if we're in a situation where we're not in a big hurry and we should take our time and analyze the risks and all that kind of stuff, I'm not good at that, you know, but it's because I'm so good at moving quick. And right. so, and I used to feel like it was a failure on my part. I used to feel like, man, I, if I was more disciplined, I could analyze risk better. And I'm not as good of a leader as I, and a business owner as I should be because I'm not that. And what Colby does is kind of liberate you to say, no, no, you're not that because you are this, you know? And, uh, but like, I know that I need to be paired with someone who's lower in quick start. So right. before I go take our company off the cliff, they can make sure that there's enough water and no rocks at the bottom. <laughs> right. So, that is, that is a good point. So my husband is definitely, I'm more the quick start, like jump in both feet and then be like, oh my gosh, what have we done? But my husband is more like, whoa, whoa, let's just check this out first. So that's good fair. Yeah, we make, we make a good team on that. It's good. Yeah. It's really fascinating. And, and most successful couples, whether they're, you know, it's a marriage or even uh, like a, a business partnership, usually uh, if, if they can see, succeed over a long period of time, they usually have complimenting, you know, Colby scores. Or if you're one of those people that score tends to score in the middle a lot, then you can kind of get along with anybody. Uh, but really strong partnerships tend to be, you know, like I tend to uh, look at look for people that have opposite scores from what I have, like just intrinsically, because I respect that they have those skills. But those people tend to also drive me nuts when I work with them, and I'm sure I do the same same to them, you know. But if you that know sense. that it, about each other, then it's it really helps. Like mm -hmm. if they know that, like, hey, this your willingness to quickly jump into this thing is just your your high quick start. Like it gives you a language and an understanding of it that makes it a lot, you know. I don't know. It just makes it a lot more easy to understand. And to communicate than just to think that like god you're an idiot which is <laughs> what i how i used to think about myself you know so anyway i don't know might be something worth looking into uh colby i love it you can have all your team tested and then it'll show you kind of how people will work together where their um friction points might be and sure. um, i think it's a lot more accurate and useful than like the myers-briggs or some of that kind of stuff so so uh you've got uh uh a big challenge you're going through now of putting all this stuff together uh and you've been in this business for a while share me share with me where where do you get some of your best ideas of where to take your business next ah uh, so that's a hard question um because of everything that we're going through right now i'm trying really hard not to go too far down the rabbit hole of planning for the future um it's easy to get wrapped up in the doomsday thought process. Um, so we're trying to take it slow. We want to keep things. I don't want to, if it's not broke, I don't want to try to fix it. Um, if there's room for improvement, trying to find those ways. Um, we're a part of a whole bunch of different groups. So I love the NASMD groups. I try to go to the idea centers and NAM 
Um, I send some of my staff members to the Idea Center and then have them report on things later. Um, I watch the webinars that NAM puts on, the webinars that AIM puts on. Um, yeah, I just kind of try to follow. I stock other stores' websites and Facebook pages to see what they're doing. Um, but I, but I, normally I would say we would be planning much different, much differently than much different, more differently. We would be planning in a different way right. than what we're going through right now. Because I just don't want to get hung up on plans that may or may not happen, and then get discouraged when they don't happen. And yeah, so trying to trying to take it slow, just improve where we can improve and not get too far ahead of ourselves. How do you, with that, like, how do you plan for the fall? Like, how, have, how has that affected your planning for your inventory buying? How has that affected your plans for expansion or staff changes or any of that kind of stuff? How, how, how has this uncertainty affected your, your short-term forecasting? So it is making me act very conservatively, um, but not so conservatively that it's going to backfire on us. Mm -hmm. um, as far as purchasing and inventory management and things like that, we're really keeping track of what products are being released that are going to help facilitate virtual and distance learning. Um, mm -hmm. So anyone that's coming up with any type of, you know, better classroom setups, virtually, um, cleaning supplies, Anything stand just, out that that yet so far? That you've um, seen? so I haven't seen them in person yet, but I am impressed with the Hal Leonard iRig thing that they came up with. There's like two mm -hmm. different levels of them that have like the light and the stand and the mm -hmm. microphone. Um, I think yeah. that's that's cool. That makes me excited. Um, yeah. So trying to figure, trying to like guess what people are going to be interested in that interested in that's still within school budgets. Um, as far as purchasing goes, we're planning on a year that is not going to grow extraordinarily, but also isn't going to be much lower than last year. Mm -hmm. And like I said, this is my first year doing it, so I don't really know what to expect anyway. So we're just kind of like, well, the forecast kind of sort of looks like this. I guess we'll kind of sort of plan it like this. Yeah. We'll have to do a follow-up in the fall and see. See how well you guessed. Yeah, yeah. It'll be good. It'll either be like, nailed it, or it'll be like, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. I was talking with our VP of finance a couple of weeks ago, and we're trying to uh, finalize all of our rental inventory orders. And she's, you know, she's really stressing over this. And, and I finally was like, hey, listen, I'd rather owe Con Salmer and KHS a bunch of money for a bunch of instruments we have that, didn't, that we didn't rent than to have customers and band directors asking, how come you don't have any more flutes and me not be able to get them? So, like, because if we end up owing KHS or anyone, I can give them the option, hey, I can pay you as I get it or I can send the inventory back or I can work something right. out. But if I need, you know, more Eastman trumpets and it's September, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of where I'm thinking too. I'm like, well, I'd rather have this stuff and take a yeah. little longer to pay it off than not. I'll have need it next rental me. season if I can't use it now. Right. right? Yeah. That's it's not right. going to go bad, you know? Right. Exactly. So, so, yeah. All right. I'm with you on that. So yeah, the, normally I ask people where they see their business in like the next year and, next three years, but I get it. That's really hard. Tell me thinking like maybe further out, like just 10 years, can, what, what's kind of your dreams for, for Nick rail music and in the future? More of what we're doing. Like, I think that we have a really good business. I think we have a super stable business. 
Um, there are definitely rooms, you know, areas that we need improvement and growth. But I think if we can just keep trucking along and doing the things that we're doing, I think that it's just going to keep going. I imagine, you know, opening more locations as necessary. Just, yeah, doing more of what we're doing. I love it. So, and I know you haven't had it, had Nick Real Music very long, but you've been in this industry for a long time. Tell me about a negative situation that you've experienced, experienced in your business career that ultimately had a positive effect, but you didn't want to, you wouldn't want to repeat it again. The first and most prominent thing that comes to mind, uh, a lot of sexism and sexual harassment. That's not been great. Um, and it happens way more frequently than people want to admit. I think it's still a very prominent problem. In, I, I, really? mean, I think it happens in all industries, but I was surprised at how much it happened to me. Um, as an outside rep, especially, going to visit people for the first time and having to put up with some pretty awful behavior. Um, that gets old real fast. And even, even with this business purchase, um, I had a particular landlord who would not sign the lease over to me without having my dad, my husband, or my brother help me with the lease, which like I was floored that it was even an issue, but it was. So you think that it doesn't happen, but it definitely does. And even with, it was one of the last things to tie up the sale of the business was getting this lease signed over and he wouldn't without like a male sidekick on my part. It was really stupid. Um, so that is a problem, but as far as getting through it, it has helped me stand up for myself a little bit more um, and not be so much of like a nice guy pushover, not wanting to ruffle feathers. Um, mm -hmm. Every time it happened, it kind of just reinforced to me that I needed to stand up for myself more. Um, so I think in the long run, I mean, it sounds super corny, but I think in the long run it gave me courage and also helps me talk about it and just tell people that it's not acceptable and that it's still happening and people want to think that it doesn't and that, you know, everything's changed and better, but it's not, there's still a lot of it that goes on and the music industry is still very much a good old boys club and a lot of girls aren't welcome, which is really sad. And it was even obvious at NAM this year. Um, my, I, the last day of NAM, it was just my husband and I walking around and there would be times that he would walk into a booth and they would talk to him. And then if I walked into a booth by myself, nobody would talk to, talk to me until my husband came up and was standing mm -hmm. next to me. So it's dumb that it still happens, but that is definitely a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why do you, why do you think that happens? Like, let's stick with the NAMP thing right now. Uh, the, you know, and, and I, you hear this from a lot of people. Uh, you, know, you go to a booth and get ignored. Um, why do you think that happens? Um, part of it is I just don't think there's a lot of women leadership in the industry. So people assume that you don't have a decision-making role just because statistically women don't. Um, but I do think it happens too for dumb reasons like they don't think we're smart or qualified. I don't know. I don't know. You, you meet enough amazing women in the industry that are in leadership positions. I mean, some of the most awesome women I've ever met, like, you know, Leslie Belton, Robin Walenta, Dee Hyde, Whitney Grotoffy, like these amazing women leaders. Um, but there's just not enough of them. And so I don't think people assume as a woman that you're in a leadership role, which is sad. I think it's sad. I, I mean, I, I don't want to be 
uh, taken the wrong way here. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's some of it that is, uh, that happens because it's just, it's sexism, right? Like it's people that, uh, feel like, uh, you're a woman, so you couldn't possibly or whatever. But I think in today in 2020, that's probably a sliver of it. I think the vast majority of it is that all of us, uh, deal with our own stereotypes, confirmation biases, and we would all struggle with that, you know, because if you're working in a booth, I don't know, you've done it, you've, you worked for Maple Leaf, you've worked trade shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, first of all, I couldn't imagine, and I've never had to work a trade show booth at NAM, uh, mm-hmm. but four days of winter NAM, uh, like with drums going on and everything else, I could imagine if I was a manufacturer's rep that it would just wear me smooth, slick. And then for a lot of those ven- manufacturer's reps, they also have to set up and tear down the mm-hmm. booth. So they, you know, it's a week long thing mm-hmm. for them of just yeah. constant. And then they have to take clients out for dinner and like, you know, I could just get how it could be hard to be on your A game the entire mm-hmm. time. I'm not trying to make uh, excuses for folks. I'm trying to be understanding and I think it could be difficult. And then when you look and see that the vast majority of people that work in this industry are men, you know, just because, I mean, just like most guitar players are men, I, whatever reason, they seem to have taken the biggest interest in not only doing it, but deciding, you know, I think I'd rather own a business where I could be around all my favorite toys and not actually work for a living. <laughs> they seem to be the ones that have kind of taken that jump, you know. Uh, I could see how a lot of people just not intent with the intention of, you know, being sexist, but just would uh, assume that like, I mean, gosh, I, you know, I know most of the women leaders in this industry and they, like you mentioned, there's, you, you rattle off that, that number, but there's, tons and tons of men that are in this industry and it's, I think it's an like it's almost like an I, I don't know maybe I'm, I could be wrong here and if I'm wrong I'm totally willing to admit that I'm wrong but I think it's almost like an innocent mistake in most cases versus just being like there's no way you could run a business you know I just think in their experience it's not what they most commonly see I would agree with you until it continues <laughs> to happen and they know that I'm the owner and they still are only talking to my husband. Yeah. So that's like, a problem then. Yeah. Yeah. Screw right, those so, people. Well, yeah, right. I know, <laughs> I'm not defending well, those I'm sons of bitches. Sell like, someone else. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, and my husband and I had a really big discussion about this on the way home from Nam because I told him I was really frustrated about this, that I thought it was stupid, that nobody would talk to me in some of these booths and you know, they were only talking to him and he was like, no, I don't think that happened. I'm like, how? It was so obvious. And I'm not trying to be super hypersensitive about it, but it's a problem. And it even goes down. I mean, look at even just your own staff members. Like how many women are on your staff as a sales team? And not you, but like mm-hmm. in general, just, you know, industry-wide. Um, how many women sales reps are there? How many women in manufacturing are there? Um, there's a lot of women in really stereotypical roles of, you know, marketing, HR, things like that, but there's not a lot in leadership. And I, uh, I had the opportunity to go to the smart women in music, uh, mm-hmm. leadership summit this in March, which was awesome. Um, but we all kind of express the same things where there's not that many. And I don't think it's that they're not applying. I think it's that there's, they're not getting the jobs, which that I can tell you in my couple. case, it's because they're not applying. Well, and that, that's it's, part of it too. It's 10 to 20 to one male sure. to female. And, uh, and, and any reasonably qualified female candidate I get definitely gets a shake because mm-hmm. I really like uh, having as diversified of a staff as I can have. And, right. and it's, it's been one of the hallmarks of Springfield Music 
forever. Like it was one of the first stores I ever ran into that had women in management positions, women in sales positions, women in leadership positions, going back to like the eighties and nineties, uh, when it was super, super uncommon. And, uh, so we have a big belief in it. And of, of course, what I find is that in, in periods of our, uh, uh, operation where we've had a lot of women in visible roles, then it tends to uh, attract other women to apply and then it becomes easier to get them. But if you're in a situation where you don't have, have women in visible roles, it is super hard to get them to apply. And I, I, I don't, I think maybe it's, maybe it's because of what we do. You know, I mean, first of all, it's hard for me to hire like band people, like, cause those, if you're a band person, you either want to play all the time or you want to teach. And so it's hard to hire band folks. And on the combo side, most of the folks are, are guys and not women. Um, well, yeah, it's I, just, hard. I, I think I it's mean, really tough. Yeah. One, well, you have to come down to it. I mean, is it a systematic problem? Is it just cultural? I mean, there's so many ways to discuss it that, I mean, we could just be blue in the face and still not be done. Um, but I do think as an industry, and there's really good steps being made. Like I know NAM is trying really hard to diversify, which is great. You know, there's the swim group, which is awesome. Um, there are more women that are being put in leadership roles, which is great. Um, but yeah, but it's definitely still a challenge, still a challenge. And I think people think it's less of a problem than it really is. Yeah. I, I think it's a problem. This is funny. This is like a white person telling black people how they should think or feel about something. So everyone just please forgive me. I, we're just having a conversation and sharing opinions. I, you know, hope everyone, you know, no one like thinks like, God, that guy's an asshole or whatever. But I think it's a problem, but it's a problem more from like how to change it where we get women more involved and not because I, if you ask like my feeling and maybe just because I'm so woke that I just can't see this, but like, I think, I know, I feel like I know a lot of business people that would love to have women more involved in their company. There's just not really clear of how to, where to find them and how to make that happen. Because uh, first of all, most of the people I know in our industry don't do a great job of recruiting for talent. Sure. They basically hire whoever walks in their door. And sure. uh, if you can fog a mirror and stuff like that, then you're probably hired. And so uh, they don't do a great job of recruiting. And if you're going to hire what walks in, and ask for a job, like historically, that's predominantly been men. And so it's a huge, it's an issue, but I don't know, I don't know what the, I, I, you know, I remember like years ago, we, we, we had a, we were wanting to hire uh, uh, more women salespeople for our store. And so I was like, you know what, let's write an ad and let's uh, hire a designer that's a woman so that maybe, because maybe there's language I'm using, because I've been like, I started researching this and I thought maybe I'm using language or imagery that's like not appealing. You know, maybe I'm, and so like, I'm, let me have someone else write it uh, and see what they came up with. And I thought she did a nice job with the ad. I thought she did a nice job with the copy. Still didn't work. <laughs> you know, I mean, like it was just really, really difficult. Now, it may be that, you know, women come into our stores and like, uh, I don't want to work here. Like, <laughs> But like we are, I mean, we have a reputation of having clean, well-decorated, nice stores. Like it's not, you're not going to come in at places like super disorganized and dirty. Like, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't know. And I feel like we have a very accommodating staff. Like, um, 
I think it's really difficult. I would love for someone to solve it because it's something that I would love to, like, I know in our, our, our two main leaders are two women that are involved in our business. Uh, and that may make us a little bit unique because again, not everyone has that, but even with that, having like two of the three people at the top being female, it is super hard to find other women to work in our company. There's only a handful uh, taking outside of the teachers talking, you know, excluding the teachers. There's only a couple of women left in any other roles. And, Mm -hmm. and some of them are in sort of traditional female roles. They're in like the office accounting type side and we're training right now uh, one for uh, repair tech, which is super cool. Like that's great. be a band repair tech and like, that's, you know, that's really neat to do, but it's just super hard. So I guess what I'm asking Laura is for you and the women is swim, get this shit figured out. So we, <laughs> the rest of us can figure <laughs> out how to hire more yeah. for you all. And well, uh, we need it. Yeah. And people no, of I, color too. Like, man, yeah, I get like almost, I mean, now partially in Springfield, uh, Springfield is like 97% white but i also have store a store in kansas city and i have a store in st louis which are uh, historically have large uh, uh or a larger percentage uh black population than what, what we'd have here in springfield uh but even then like the people that apply to work in the store uh that are a person of color is still like a very 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 small amount and then people that apply that are qualified and by qualified, I, mainly I'm looking forward to you play an inst- one of the main instruments that we sell, which for us would be guitar or any of the band instruments or orchestra instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's even smaller still. You know, it's usually like they maybe have some kind of like electronic music experience or uh, music production experience, something like that. It's like, but that's not what we don't do that. You know, it's right. we're a guitar shop and a band rental shop. Like, um, just, I don't know, super hard. Please someone fix this. So that, <laughs> cause a lot of us want to do the good thing and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be easier. It's super hard. Mm-hmm. I hope Robin Walenta and Leslie and other people don't listen to this, just lose all respect <laughs> and affection. They, whatever they hold for me, I hope it doesn't all go away. So. <laughs> good. Well, I mean, do you think it's one of those things that, um, you know, like I said, a lot of people don't think it's as big of a problem as it is. And even if, even if percentage-wise, the applicants are, what am I trying to say? Even if the percentage of applicants is lower, I think as an industry, we need to be a little bit more supportive of that. So if there, if there are women that apply, if there are people of color that apply, just kind of giving a little extra help, recognizing the challenges that they're all going to face. I mean, mm-hmm. like even me going into NAM, I've been in the industry for a while. Like you would think that some people would know who I am just from the other, I mean, I don't want to be like, oh, no, I am. but people, I mean, it shouldn't be a deal that I'm a woman in a leadership position and have people ignore me. Like mm-hmm. that's not acceptable at any sense of the word. It's it's, Laura, this is a great conversation because <laughs> it's comfortable. You know, I mean, like kind of going out of the limb and criticizing other people or even going out on a limb and saying, ah, I'm not sure that's totally right. Like that's an awkward, it, what it's easy to say is just to say all the things that are accepted and right. to not admit areas where you think like, Hey, I, I'm challenged by this. You know, right. I had a conversation with someone, uh, this was a couple of years ago and, um, uh, it didn't go very well. Cause as usual, I didn't, wasn't very articulate. And, um, she was making a similar argument to kind of what you're making. And it was specifically about NAM and going into trade show booths and being ignored. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was trying to explain to her that like, you don't understand, like I go into booths and get ignored all the time and I'm a, you know, middle-aged white guy and I'm super active in our industry as well. Like 
it's not like I walk in and people are like, holy shit, here's a white guy that like <laughs> looks like he plays guitar. Like everyone stop what you're doing, roll up the red carpet. Like, really? no, I, I get ignored too. And the problem I see it is this, is sometimes as a woman or a person of color, you're ignored because you're a woman or a person of color. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're ignored because the other person is either just a bad salesperson or is just exhausted from a week of NAM. Sure. And so you're ignored that way. How in the world, if you're a woman or a person of color, are you supposed to know the difference? Like, how are you supposed to know, am I being ignored because I'm a woman or am I being ignored because this person can't sell or am I being ignored because they're sick and exhausted and got NAM thrax or whatever? Like, sure. you know. And when, there, when it happens enough either way, there's no way for you to tell, you know? I agree with that. And I do, you know, we try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I mean, I've worked trade shows. It's exhausting. And sometimes you just don't want to talk to anyone regardless yeah. of who they are. So I get that. Um, but I do think some of the follow-up when people do start talking to you kind of illustrates if it's a problem. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, I don't want to take this the wrong way. I'm not trying to, you know, say, you know, people aren't bad actors. Like there, there certainly are. I just think sometimes it's hard to diagnose it, you sure. know? And I think sometimes we miss it. We, we diagnose something as, as someone as being bad when that may not be wholly accurate. You know, sure. I was raised by my mother and my older sister, uh, my you know, divorced home and single parent home. And so i and my mother is, a you know, uh, like I said, single parent, very strong, charismatic woman. Um, like no, I've just grown up having a lot of uh, love and affection and admiration for like strong women and stuff, which is why like I've always tried to surround myself with them. No, um, I think I think that's the thing because my husband was raised the same way, and I, I mean not like like he was raised with strong women in his life, and I do find that men that are raised with strong women in their life don't see as obvious as the sexism problem is because they you can relate so little to it. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like. Yeah. It would never cross your mind to treat a woman like that. And so it's like, well, no, how can that be a problem? But, and that's exactly the right. same way. And so when I point it out, he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. I'm like, believe it. Cause it happens. But yeah. It's so foreign to him where he's like, how can that even be? Like, I don't know. You tell me like, so I do, I do think that that is, I, I don't think you're unique in that, that if you're raised around really strong women, you don't see that's a problem. Cause you would never ever, it would never cross your mind to treat someone like that. You know? Right. Well, it's the same thing with being being racist. Like uh, I grew up in a non-racist household, which is a little unusual, maybe for my uh, you know I'm of that age and and from the Midwest where it's still pretty common. You know, I had I grew up with lots of people that were racist, but like my family and stuff absolutely was not. But I just kind of had the impression growing up as a kid, like there's plenty of reasons to not like people that have nothing to do with their skin color. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know there, right. there are people that are assholes and idiots and stuff like that. Like you can dislike them for that, but like, why would you care what, like they have no control over their skin color or any of that. Like why would I, I, that has, that still boggles my mind when I, and I, and I still think most people, when they say that, I think they're conflating uh, culture with race. You know, I think there's, there's things about cultures I don't like, you know, but even then it's not a race culture. I don't like, it's just, there's certain things about like poor white, you know, poverty culture period that I don't support, 
you know right. there's also things about like uh extreme wealth culture that i don't support either you know uh but poor people have poor ways and like you know there's things that there's decisions that those people make uh that i don't think are good and don't support them but it's not because they're white or black or mexican or chinese or indian or whatever like you know that's not a part of it like um none of that's made any sense to me and i think the the sexism is the same way like i know a lot of women that aren't smart enough to run companies and stuff like that but i know just as many men like you know they're just people it's not that they're women that they're not smart enough they're just as a person they're not smart enough you know as a man they're not smart enough like uh not everyone's cut out to do it and yeah it is i'm probably a little bit blind to it just from from that you know mm. you're probably right it's unfortunate that uh, that there's people though that are making those conscious decisions, you know. Right. Right. So, anyway, okay, that was a fun conversation. It was very uncomfortable, uh, which okay. usually for me is a good time. So, it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if you feel uncomfortable, then that must have been good. So, uh, if you could send a message to yourself in ten years, this is always the question I ask, kind of close every interview. So a message to you back in roughly 2010, doesn't have to be exactly 2010, but somewhere around there, what would you tell the younger you? So 2020 was a particularly challenging year for us as a family. Um, we were going through some pretty severe transitions, some pretty severe challenges, both personally, financially, all those things. Um, I don't know how deep we want to get into it, but we were really in- Totally up to you. We were in really bad shape. Um, we were both out of work. We were trying to make ends meet. Um, I had just had, or I was pregnant with my third, second, second kid. Um, so we were in a really bad place and it was not looking like there was a lot of hope in the horizon. So if I was talking to myself 10 years ago, just hold on. Like it's, it'll, you'll get through it. You'll get yeah. through it. And and trying to just put things into perspective that I truly, truly believe that things will be, things will work out in the end. And if it's not all right, then it's not the end. Um, and just to work your butt off. Cause yeah. Be good. So, yeah. so what message do you want to send to the you in 2030? Oh, girl, I hope you made it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and just, I'm sure it's going to be so many like gray hairs and wrinkles, but I hope it's worth it. <laughs> Will you dye your hair if it turns gray? Are you going to age know. gracefully or are you going to fight it every know. step of the way? I don't know. I, I found a couple gray hairs since this started and it was pretty traumatic. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, that remains to be seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I think, you know, that's going to be a really, you know, most people have a similar answer to what you said about the 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's going to be worth it, uh, hang in there, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. In your case, in particular, the 10 years in the future is going to be really fascinating because most people think about their 10 years in the future, they can base it off their you know, career. And of course, most people I've talked to have owned their store for a while. So they've got enough stuff of like, okay, I've kind of been doing this and here's what I think about doing the next. And yeah, so here's what I want to say. In your case, you're just like, hope we made it, you know? <laughs> and, in, and in 10 years, it'll be like, yay, the most yeah. paid off. Perfect. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, now we can really start getting paid and, like, we can right. do the things we want to do. Right. Yeah, totally. So that'll be good.
Well, that's a wrap for this episode. If you'd like help with your business, check out musicretailconsulting.com for articles, resources, and coaching and consulting services. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast so you're aware of future updates and rate and review while you're at it. Thanks for listening. 